There aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator's enemies of the state. Show me where it says the protest. Hey, hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Rebel Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Aaron, as always. And today we're actually a little earlier than normal or what it has been the last uh, few days. And I'm looking for my water and I left that in the other room. Great. So, well, we're off to a banging start so far. So today we're going to be talking about private membership associations and if they are right for you so first things first as always let's take care of some of the housekeeping and then i'll give you some updates on the website and then we'll get into today's uh, um, um, what's the word i'm looking for man it's gonna be one of those episodes uh the context of today's episode so that being said let's dive right into it if uh you are looking for more information uh, tonight, hopefully, there will be a bare bones um, website for East Coast PMA because I'm going to have to start from scratch, it looks like, and I'll give you an update on that. But anyways, you can go over to the East Coast PMA for more information and more content. You can also, once the site is up and running, you can get your DIY templates there. You can get uh, uh, a way to schedule time with me if you'd like to talk about other things. Boy, um, I think I should have taken some alpha brand before today's episode. But that being said, in the meantime, and as always, you can always head over to the PMA Manifesto and you can get more content over there. You can also get DIY templates over there. If you join the Facebook group for either East Coast PMA or the PMA Manifesto, well, specifically, if you join the PMA Manifesto Facebook group, you can get a discount code for the PMA Manifesto document itself. And then you can also connect with the two Angelas and Erica over there and our monthly call, which is usually, I think, the first Thursday of the month. I, I could be wrong, but I believe it's the first Thursday of the month. They usually just say, hey, you need to get online right now. We're doing our call because that's kind of where I'm at with my scheduling. So that being said, the last thing that I want to talk about is uh, the Start9 NBC systems. And they have, I was on their website this morning, actually, they have a new video out. So I'm just going to play the audio from that video that kind of explains why you'd probably want to get a Start9 system. We all save our data, but where is it saved? In the cloud, which is actually this building in one of these computers with millions of others. This is called a honeypot, a single place full of data worth a hacker's time to steal. But instead, if you saved your data on your own computer at home, you wouldn't be worth the attack. Saving your own data is easy. Simply plug in a Start9 device, and start saving all your own data today. So, will you stay in the honeypot or will you take control of your data? Start now. Start now. So, that's actually a pretty cool video. If you go over to uh, Start Nine, you can see the actual video with that. And it really does kind of tell you, you know, in a nutshell, what those servers are for. And it's really taking back your computer sovereignty. So again, you can use the code Rebel Alliance at checkout, get 9% off. If you are a fold card user, I believe you can still get a gift card to there, which gives you a discount and you get even more than 9% off if you kind of combine the two. But that being said, uh, definitely check them out if you're looking for end-to-end -end encrypted text messaging, if you're looking to be able to access your files anywhere in the world. If you are looking to build a way for your members of your associate to communicate or even your family, and then you can also set up your own banking system on there through BTC Pay and you know eliminate Bitcoin, Zelle, Cash App, and all those other apps, which is, is kind of nice. 
but anyways, so that's that. And uh, quick update on what's going on with the uh, website and stuff. Let me jump over here and kick on the comments just in case anybody decides to chime in and give us a, a, a put in any comments or anything like that. Uh, you can do it through Facebook or through uh, YouTube. I'll see it. People on rumble. I kind of kind of have to answer them after the fact. Sorry about that. I'm just a one man operation and I really can't do too many things at once because I lose my train of thought, unfortunately. So quick update on the website. Uh, one of you are one of the viewers here that watched this channel reached out to me, just called my phone number and said, Hey, you don't know me, but I've been watching YouTube channel and I know that, you know, within your podcast that you're having some issues with your WordPress site, I might be able to help you out. So I gave him some access to the files, the backups, and hopefully he can create some FTP upload because everything I've done so far within my skill set is not working. So until then, I'm just going to start building everything back from scratch. So tonight there should be a bare bones uh, East Coast PMA website on there. I don't know about all the shopping carts and stuff like that. That's going to take me some time, but at least... The actual website will be up and running because right now it just says under construction if that's even working correctly and it's kind of a pain. So that being said, let's get into today's topic. And um, again, this is uh, private membership associations and are they right for you? Because I do have a lot of conversations with people and not every conversation ends up with that person getting an association. Sometimes they need an LLC, a sole proprietorship. Sometimes they're just, you know, working things out and they just needed to bounce ideas off of somebody. So, uh, and that's one thing you'll find besides myself and the ladies over at the PMA manifesto, we're not going to push you into an association unless we think it's the right direction to go in. Again, we're going to give you some options. You're always driving the bus. We're just giving you a couple different roads to go down and you can choose whichever one you want makes no difference to us. We just want to make sure that you have the most information and you can make a really well educated decision on what you're looking to do. Because if you are building a community, you are going to be bringing others into your fold and it's going to be one of those things where, okay, not only am I, you know, starting this venture with maybe somebody else, you know, maybe two other people, or maybe it's just you and a buddy and you're starting to build your, your local community up of, of like-minded individuals for whatever your common goal is. It, it then turns into now I'm kind of responsible for what goes on within this group and these people, because they're going to be looking at you as a, you know, being in a position of leadership. So, that being said, um, getting the introductions out of the way, let's define a private membership association or what they are legally called the unincorporated association. Now, the, like I've said, you've heard me say on here a hundred times before that the PMA is just a sexy term that is tossed around online. And there are a lot of carpetbaggers and snake oil salesmen that will talk about associations that they are just regurgitating something that somebody else has said, and they don't actually go into any of the... Um, the crust of the biscuit, I guess, is the best way to put it, and the, the meat and potatoes of the association. I'm going to try not to use too many food analogies today. Uh, but uh, that being said, if you look at some of their websites, they have verbatim, word for word, plagiarism, copied, paste, and that's all they did. And it's it's pretty sad. And they pick and choose certain things they want to talk about. But we're going to bring some things up here today as we go through this. And let me just see here if I can bring this up and let's see what screen do I want to put it on. I guess we'll put it right here. So I'll just kind of look over to the side a little bit, but I've got all my PDFs here that I want to go through. And once the sign, well, once the sign, once the, the website is up, I will then make this stuff available to you so you can see exactly what I'm reading. You can take the time to read it for yourself and make your own decision. But the definition of an unincorporated association or a private membership association is very simple. It's two or more people coming together for a common goal. And 
whatever that common goal is, it's it's between them and their members and whether it's homesteading, uh, political reasons, maybe it is, uh, you know, more education based or maybe it's more community based. They have to have that that reason for association. So and we're just basically going to explore, you know, the alignment with personal needs and interests and see if this is even something that makes sense for you. Because, again, like I said earlier, you know, there's a lot of times where I turn people away from associations. I'm just like, yeah, I you know, if you can't articulate to me what your reason for association is, then how are you going to do that when somebody comes knocking on your door and they're like, Hey, what you're doing is illegal or you're not allowed to do that or, or what have you. And to be honest, we only see a lot of that with the education aspect of it. When people are pulling their kids out of school, unless you're Amos Miller and then, you know, you've got, you know, all of Pennsylvania coming down on you. So, um, that being said, let's just kind of go over like an overview of a PMA and then we'll get into some of the legal, um, legal aspects of it and uh, some examples. And I just got to fix this real quick. There we go. Now it won't drive me crazy. So uh, the overview of the PMA is very simple. Now, like I've said before, you could either create it on a bar napkin. You could, you know, have no documents at all. You could have me do your documents. You could have somebody else do your documents. It really is completely up to you. I, like I've said before in other videos, I've seen them everywhere from $250 to $10,000 and everything in between. And some of them are real, just, you know, toilet paper. So the overview of the PMA is very simple. Like I said, it's a group of individuals coming together. Usually it's started by at least two people for a common goal, whatever that goal is, you decide. And then what happens is they form documents or a constitution, whatever you'd like to call it. When I do it and the, the DIY templates that we provide, if you're looking to you know roll your sleeves up and do it yourself, you are going to have your bylaws, your articles of organization, your membership agreement. And then if you're going to be a free church or a ministry, you'll have your faith um, statement of faith and some other things in there. That being said, and there's some more stuff that goes into it other than that. That's kind of just like the framework of it, right? So everything within those documents is going to is going to dictate how your association runs. And it's like I've said before, it's like, you know, we're in a republic. This is like a mini republic within the republic that you're responsible for. So you're kind of, you know, uh, the person that's, you know, running this group like our founding fathers set up this country. And I'm going to try to stop hitting the microphone. But for some reason today, I'm talking with my hands a lot. Not that you can see that. So that's kind of the overview of the, the PMA. It's a group of individuals coming together for a common goal. And we're going to see how it's protected by the amendments of the Constitution. And then, you know, it allows you to associate and to run your stuff as a uh, republic, just like we are here in the United States. And then those documents really dictate and lay out how everything works within the association. Now, um, some of the things that I wanted to uh, to throw up there. So these are a couple of different law journals that I've pulled up. Uh, I think the earliest one is 2010 and the oldest one is 1989 and kind of everything in between. But what I want to pull up first, if my eye is going to work with me and I, I was looking for my patch today. I couldn't find the patch for my left eye. Hopefully the surgery in April, things get much better, but it has been driving me crazy trying to see. It's like all kind of grayish over here. But anyways, if we look at the, uh, if we look at uh, jurisprudence, second edition, constitutional law, section 581, it talks about freedom of association and intimate and expressive association. And I'm going to talk a lot about intimate association today because that's really what you want to have at the core of this is an intimate association. And think of that as things with your family, small numbers, something like a marriage or a union of some type or family members. You want to have that. There has to be a bond there. So like with our 
community that we have, we have Liberty House. That is like an extended family for me. So it's people that I, I, you know, can confide in. It's people that I associate with. It's people that if I need something, I can call them. They'll drop what they're doing. They'll help me. You know, you can kind of uh, think of it as like, you know, uh, veterans that go to the VFW or the American Legion. They build those bonds and those relationships within those associations, even those are a little semi-public. So we're going to talk about intimate association a lot. An expressive association, on the other hand, is really just, you know, where you have a large number of people in your association. So kind of like Amos Miller had, where then the, the government can say, well, we have an expressed interest in what's going on there just because of the sheer number of people. So um, when we look at this, and this is uh, on an American jurisprudence section 581, we're also going to look at 582. And it says basically that the freedom of association encompasses both one, a right to enter into and maintain certain intimate human relationships, and two, a right to associate for purchase purpose of engaging in those activities protected by the First Amendment, including speech, assembly, petition for redress or gr of grievances and exercise of religion. So this is coming right out of what you're, you know, and you can look these up if they're Unless you want to pay a lot of money to get like a subscription to Westlaw or LexisNexis, say that five times fast, or some of these other uh, services out there, you're going to want to go to your local law library, which is in most cases going to be found in your local county courthouse. Uh, you know, we have one right in the next town over. I can go in there, you know, go through the metal detectors, all that fun stuff, go right upstairs. There's a law librarian up there. Most of the time they are attorneys. And you can say, hey, I'm looking for information on the right of association or the right of intimate association and they can show you right in this they can make photocopies for you so you can get all this stuff if you know you don't want to wait for me to get my act together with this website that's giving everybody a hard that's giving me a hard time rather so it goes on to say that the right of intimate association guarantees an individual the choice to enter into an intimate relationship free from undue intrusion by the state and that is the important part undue intrusion by the state and that's why it's so important to have an intimate association as opposed to the expressive association. Now it goes on to also say that the right of association for expressive purposes is an instrumental one. The constitution guarantees freedom of uh, expressive association as an indispens indispensable means of preserving other individual liberties. That is the right to freedom of expressive association protects people's right to associate for the purposes of engaging in activities protected by the first amendment including petitioning the government for redress of grievances and so on. So that's basically talking about, you know, if you have a large or maybe like a larger political group or maybe part of the Libertarian Party or the Constitutional Party and you're getting together for some type of rally or something like that, that's kind of what that's talking about. Hey, Frozen Dog, thanks for jumping on as always and uh, coming in and listening to me ramble on about associations. I do appreciate it. So, um. Let's see, what else did I want to take away from this? So it also says, however, encounters that contain no element of expression are, are, are not uh, protected. If a group engages in expressive association, constitutional protections are only impacted if the government action would significantly affect the group's ability to advocate public or private viewpoints. Courts generally observe that the freedom of expressive association arises from the First Amendment and ensures that the right of association for pursuing and engaging in activities protected by the First Amendment. Some authorities hold that the freedom of intimate association receives protection as fundamental elements of personal liberty under the Due Process Clause. So that's where you start talking about the 14th Amendment. 
Other authorities hold that the relationship that amplifies intimate association are protected by the First Amendment. However, the First Amendment protection is not implicit in the relationship that is not within the category protected intimate relationships. And then it goes into some court cases. And what's great about this is it gives you all of the resources and court cases that it's referencing. So really the big takeaway from this is that, you know, if you're in that expressive association or you're in that larger group, you know, the government might have an an expressed interest in what you're doing, as opposed to the intimate association where it said, again, engaging into an intimate relationship free from undue intrusion by the state. And that's very important. And I just want to see one thing. And yeah, that comes out of one of the cases talked about a lot is the Roberts versus USJCs. Um, but uh, again, this is what's great about this is when you see these, these references or material it really gives you all the legal backing behind it also so not only can you read it in the american jurisprudence you can then go look up these cases and read them for yourself and see the opinions uh that the court had on this stuff so uh the next part of that is going to be and this is all under kind of like the legal framework and where this all comes from because i think it's important that as you're you know, maybe you decide you want to have an association you need to know where your standing comes from and why you have these rights and and how to protect these rights and how to insert yourself if you're being challenged so not to get really off topic but we're having you know there's a there's a uh, a ministry here or a church i should say in connecticut that was set up uh and they provide education to their members children now in connecticut we have a certain statute that allows religious organizations to do that and not be licensed but the, I think the state's starting to catch on because now that the uh, enforcement department for licensing through the uh, child education department is not really saying that they're not a, a, a religious organization, but they're going after, they're using zoning to kind of push things, right? So like the house is in a residential area. It's not necessarily set up for even home-based businesses or anything like that. So now they're like, oh, well, hey, zoning, take a look at this. So now we're kind of dealing with that stuff, but they already have a commercial spot that they planned on moving into. So it's kind of a moot point, but they're, they're trying to find ways to combat this because what's happening is a lot of people are fed up with the indoctrination camps that their kids are in. And they're like, listen, I don't have the necessarily the time to homeschool, but there are these other people that say, listen, we're going to teach Judeo-Christian values. We're going to teach, you know, the ABCs, the birds and the bees, the way they're supposed to be. And we're not going to have tampon dispensers and, and boys' bathrooms, and we're not going to have cat boxes and all this other nonsense and pronouns and all this other garbage that's being pushed and shoved down the throats of our children. So they set up these religious organizations, these churches, and part of their not just they're getting together as a church aspect of it, but one of the benefits of that is that the members can now drop their kids off and have, you know, that religious type education uh, as opposed to dealing with all the crap that's being pushed in school. And the best part is there's no licensing requirement, at least within our state. And there's like five others, I think, that are like that. And some are a little bit different. You've heard me talk about it before, but they're starting to catch on that people are doing this. And I like I've talked to people before. I'm sure it's only a matter of time that this is that statute's going to be changed. So you might as well get them up and running now and get those ministries and churches going. You don't have to run a full blown church. You can run a ministry. It just says religious organization. I would even suggest that you could probably get away with a faith based association where your association is geared more towards around religious activities. Doesn't make you tax exempt or anything like that. It just says, hey, here you go. You're now a religious organization, at least here in Connecticut, and based on that statute, uh, 19A-77, you can then uh, be exempt from licensing. So, uh, you know, 
my whole thing is let's have some defense in depth. Let's have multiple layers of defense. Let's have some different courses of action. Should we be challenged? And then let's be able to use some of the things that are already put in place where we don't have to go and spend our hard-earned money to fight these clowns in court on the right of association. So, all right, let me get off that soapbox. So uh, that being said, um, let's see. Is there out of here that I wanted to discuss? Uh, let's see. Uh, so this is uh, out of Section 52, 582 of the jurisprudence. And it talks about, um, this is kind of a, it talks about, you know, the right of intimate association or freedom of association. It says, as a general matter, only relationships with the qualities that attend to certain and substance of a family are likely to reflect the consideration that have led to an understanding of freedom of association as an intrinsic element of personal liberty as necessary for such relationships to be protected by the freedom of intimate association um, pursuant to substantial due process of the 14th Amendment. And so not only we're going to see the First Amendment, but we're also going to see the third, the fifth, and the 14th as we go through this. And um, this is very important because, again, you want to make sure that you have that intimate association. And this goes into talking about there was this incident with a family. Somebody was having a seizure. Uh, the uh, the state trooper conducted in ordering the family members out of the room using deadly force against an individual who had uh, a disabling seizure disorder and who was experiencing a seizure. It did not violate the family members' uh, due process right of intimate um, association. And Basically, that the absent uh, absent allegation of the family members uh, protested the troopers' order to leave the bedroom or indicate desire to remain in the room at the time of the event that led to the shooting. So I don't know, and, and it goes into this. And I don't know the whole story on this, but basically, what they're saying is that you know you have you know this intimate association, and you you can you know even though there's you know the I, I don't even know if I should talk on this. I really don't know the whole whole scenario on what took place but the family members basically said hey you know the trooper ordered to leave the bedroom and they said no we have the right to remain there because we have our intimate association so anyways that's just kind of the, the excerpt that they put in this again i will make this um supplement available so you can look at the uh right of association protect certain intimate human relationships is what it talks about but um so those are those two so let me get those two out of here because i don't need those up anymore and then um, as we go through this legal framework, we go into, which I think most of you have probably downloaded it through the, uh, through the Telegram group. I believe it's up there. And that is the uh, Constitutional Law Desk Book, the different sections that talk about association and the right to. It talks about the enjoying, uh, enjoining assembly and generally the freedom of association and it goes into the NAACP in Alabama and we've covered this extensively in some of the other videos but again it's a good thing to read and have on hand so you know that if you have any challenges you can say no I don't need to give you my members list or you know because we've seen that here where they're like well how many children do you have at your school well I have you know between six and eight I'm not telling you exactly how many and I'm not giving you the names of them because what they're going to do is they're going to use that to go and then harass the families that come there. And that's the whole reason why the NAACP won against Alabama is because it could have been detrimental to the NAACP if they had gotten that list of individuals. So it goes into the whole right of uh, uh, association and stuff like that, which I think is very, 
very interesting. And then um, let's see, this is from 1980. Where's the newer one? 2006. And this one talks about the freedom of intimate association in the 21st century. It's a very interesting article. And there's uh, some opinions on or there's some stuff in here that I pulled out. And a lot of it uh, on this document is um, refers to a case out of Connecticut, which was Griswold, and how that uh, it had a lot to do with reproductive rights. But there was still that what they talked about was that freedom of intimate association and that the court really can't come in and tell somebody what to do with their their reproductive rights, so to speak, at, at the time. So, uh, and it goes in to talk about the uh, the freedom of intimate association uh, case, but is often uh, part of the yeah, Griswold legacy. Uh, where's the other part? Uh, the court in Griswold identified the privacy right as rooted in the First Amendment, freedom of association, and the privacy in one's association. So that's, again, this is where we're still, we're talking about the freedom of association, we're still talking about the intimacy, because now it's talking about between, you know, a husband and wife, um, as well as within the Bill of Rights, as it applied to the states by the 14th Amendment. So again, you start to see this repetitively or repeatedly in more than one case where it talks about the freedom of association, intimate association, the uh, Bill of Rights, the 14th Amendment, that and so on and so forth. And I think there were some other things that I highlighted in here that I wanted to read over. Um, and then it goes into uh, Roberts versus United States JCs. And so it really brings in a lot of uh, good information, but um, we'll go back to that maybe right now. Um, it, so this was here it is. This is um, Kenneth Kurtz. I think I'm saying that right. This is from 1980 Law Journal. And it starts off with the last words of Justice Douglas, remarkable opinion for the court in Griswold versus Connecticut. And he goes, marriage is the coming together for better or for worse, hopefully enduring and intimate to the degree of being sacred. It is an association that promotes a way of life, not cause, a harmony in living, not political faiths, a bilateral loyalty, not commercial or social projects. Yet it is an association for a noble, 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 a purpose as involved in our prior decision. And then it starts to go off about the uh, series of precedences protecting the freedom of not only just, you know, the right of association, but when we start talking about, you know, redresses uh, to grievances and the political associations and stuff like that. Um, let's see here. Come on. I... Yeah, and then it goes into here. It says, the court's opinion located the right within the generalized zone of privacy created by uh, part by the First Amendment, but by the Third, Fourth, and Fifth Amendment also. And this all came out of Griswold. So it's an older case, but this stuff is very important. So again, if you're being challenged, you know where the legal framework and definitions and stuff like that come from. So now moving on, let's uh, talk about the advantages of joining a PMA. Uh, one of the biggest advantages of joining the association is not only being with other like-minded individuals. Let me just shrink this down here just in case anybody has any questions. But it's not only just being able to come together with other individuals that are working towards a common goal, whatever that goal is. But you also have that enhanced privacy and confidentiality. So if anything is ever challenged, you 
don't have to give up your membership list, right? That's one of the big ones. Um, you also ha can have a uh, confidentiality covenant within your group. So, you know, what what goes in the, what happens in the group stays in the group, you know? And there's all those other, you know, if you're into conspiracy theories and stuff like that, there's all those other uh, elite groups out there that are like that, not that we're doing any of that stuff, but, uh, you know, you have that enhanced privacy and that confidentiality, people that, you know, you can turn to and it's not going to get put on Facebook or it's not going to be, you know, sending text messages to other people, that sort of thing, which is great. You also, if you are running an association, you have greater control over your membership criteria, which is another big thing. So you, as long as you're not violating somebody's uh, constitutional rights, you can say, hey, listen, we are going to have, uh, you know, only unvaccinated people join our group. All right. That's that's not discriminating in any way, shape or form. It's just how you want to run your things. Or we are only going to have people that are interested in living a more sustainable life. And if you have somebody that's like, yeah, no, I just, you know, want to order everything from Amazon and eat crappy food all day, then maybe they don't really fit. And again, people that are interested in your association are going to naturally um are naturally going to be drawn to it anyways. So those are some of the uh, advantages of joining a PMA or an unincorporated association. And then what else is great is then within that group, you you naturally start to have commerce amongst, amongst each other. So as we always say, we would rather keep our money within our community than sending it elsewhere. So if I know uh, somebody makes sourdough bread, I'm going to buy it from them. If somebody makes you know, does break jobs, I'm going to go over to their house and have breaks done. If I know somebody does house cleaning, I'm going to have them come and clean my house maybe once a month just to support them. And then vice versa. Like they say, hey, I need, you know, chicken eggs. You got chicken eggs or, you know, you're going to be raising chickens, you know, meat birds this year. I would like to, you know, get a couple meat birds from you. That's how it all works. And that's what's great about getting these associations up and running is not only do you have like the privacy and the confidentiality, you have a greater control over who your members are. But you also start to build these relationships and that intimacy part starts to come together for that intimate association. Now, there are some things to consider before joining an association or even starting one, I should say. So um, some of the legal risks, right? Depending on what state you're in, your association for uh, in most cases will not be seen as a legal separate entity. So whoever's running it, if you have a president, vice president, uh, you know, maybe even the treasurer and secretary, those individuals might be on the hook for any debts or liabilities to the association. So sometimes depending on what state you're in, we'll say maybe it's important if you're worried about that stuff to have, you know, some type of umbrella policy for the association. You know, in other states, they are looked at as a separate legal entity, you know, so maybe you don't need to get an anonymous LLC set up in Wyoming to cover any liability issues. So you have to make sure you understand that there's also a financial commitment. So you might have to say, hey, we need to have dues coming in every month to be able to pay for certain things or we need to do events and, you know, bring money in that way. You know, or, you know, just getting the documents set up. If you don't want to write them yourself and you want to buy the DIY templates, they're about $600. It's a little more if you want to hire, you know, me as a consultant, discuss your options, work out all the details and for me to draw up your documents. But again, there is some commitment to it. And the reason why I, I say that, you know, you want to make sure you do it that way, whether it's the DIY or or using myself or somebody, one of the ladies over at the PMA Manifesto, is you want to make sure everything that you need is in your documents so you don't ever get caught with your pants down if something should go sideways. So those are some of the things to consider. Um, and then 
you know, you also want to look at compatibility with personal values and beliefs. So again, if you have a faith-based association where maybe you're more of a, you know, Christian-based uh, association that's also community-based, you may not want somebody that's an atheist coming in and being like, hey, there is no God or uh, I believe in whatever, you know. So you want to make sure that your membership agreement is written a certain way along with your bylaws and your articles of organization to say, hey, listen, this is who we're looking for. You have to align with our mission. If you don't, we don't need to let you have access. And if your viewpoint should change from what our main goal is, then you might be asked to be, you know, you might be voted on to be removed from the association. These are all the things you want to make sure in your documents. And if you have documents by others, guaranteed that stuff's not in there, along with any type of alternative dispute resolution or how things are going to be handled. And I'm not talking about one line that says by a tribunal, right? That doesn't, it's not very, it's very vague and ambiguous. So um, the other thing is, um, yeah, we kind of touched on this already, exploring personal alignment, uh, assessing individual needs and um, interests. So again, you're going to have your overall common goal for your association or one that you want to join. And if you're looking to join one that's community-based, but this one is how to slaughter goats, then maybe you don't want to get into that one that's all about slaughtering and processing animals, right? So you want to you want to make sure you 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 assess the individual, you know, the uh, you know, your individual needs and then what that association is putting forth. And then um, you want to compare the advantages. Like if there's a couple of associations in your in your area, maybe you join both, maybe you don't. Like we have, I wouldn't necessarily call them associations. Like we have Liberty House here, but we also have other, we'll call them freedom groups that meet once a month. And, you know, I'm a part of some of them and I don't really go to all the meetings because, you know, sometimes I have my kids on the weekends and stuff like that. My oldest when they come over. So I want to spend that time with them. But, you know, you want to look at, you know, the, the different, different groups in your area and if one's not set up an association and they're flying by the seat of the pants maybe you're like hey man you know i heard this crazy guy on youtube talk or this podcast he talks about this association stuff all the time you know maybe we should you know look into that and, and, and get a good structure here going you know so you want to make sure you, you you compare your advantages and considerations when you're either starting one or looking to join one. And then the last thing is, you know, you want to make sure that if you're joining one, they have a decision making process set up. So if something is to be changed or there's a need for something like maybe you got to go out and you need to buy, you know, uh, four yards of cow manure for your community garden, like who makes that decision? Is it just on a whim? Is there a voting process? And these are all the things you need to consider either when you're joining one or when you're setting one up, because if not, then it's going to be like, hey, uh, Bill went down and got three yards of uh, manure for our community garden, and now we got to reimburse them. Well, if nobody voted on that, maybe you don't have the money for it. So, you know, you want to make sure that whatever group you're getting into or if you're starting one yourself, you know, you 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 have all these different things looked at, you know, like decision making processes, the individual needs and interest of your members or who the members already are. Uh, if you align with the personal alignment, you know, limitations and restrictions and all this other stuff uh, that can go into the association. So it's, you know, to me, I think, you know, it really makes sense if you want to, you know, 
join a private membership association or an unincorporated association as the as the legal term of it so to speak you want to make sure that like we talked about that it, you know it has a a good framework set up so it has documents you know whether you want to call it your bylaws your articles of organization or their constitution you want to make sure that it's an intimate association that there has that intimacy there because as we talked about earlier it, it it's you know the government has no reason to intrude uh, for an intimate association as we were reading through American jurisprudence uh, section 581. So once you once you find that or you set one up like that, you then want to make sure that you you know you go over some of the um, the benefits of having the association. And this is kind of goes in hand in hand with both. So whether you're looking to set it up or you're looking to join one, you get that enhanced privacy and confidentiality. You get control of the membership criteria. Uh, you can tailor your services and benefits, sense of belonging in a community. And those are all things that as a as a human, we look for in general, you know, so being able to put that kind of a group together and fostering all those things are really important when it comes to that. And then, you know, again, like we talked about the considerations when it comes to the, uh, you know, either starting or joining an association, you know, there's the legal implications and risks, there's the financial commitment, uh, there's compatibility with personal values and belief, limitations and restrictions, you know, exploring personal alignment. And these are all the things when you're bringing people in, you want to make sure they mesh with what you're doing. And then, you know, uh, if you're looking to join one, you want to compare the advantages and considerations of the different groups in your area. And then, you know, what's the decision making process? So, again, this is something that I think, you know, you kind of want to look at this as a whole if you're getting into associations for the very first time, if you're looking to start one. And this is why I always say, Please, before you go and spend money online with anybody, whether you want to talk to me or the ladies over at the PMA Manifesto, talk to one of us. We will really take the time, whether it's a half hour or an hour, and sit with you and answer all your questions. And uh, hey, Frozen Dog, I'll pull up your question in a second here. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you, you want to do your, your due diligence. You want to verify what's being told to you. That's why I try to produce all the documents. You know, when the website's working that you can download, read for yourself. Some of this stuff I'll try to get up in the Telegram today if you're on the Telegram group or in the Facebook group so you have it there. But, you know, before you go out and spend money, like I've talked to some of these people, they spent $4,500, $2,500, and they got toilet paper because they got something that, you know, different than what they thought they were getting. And then they had to have their documents redone. And, you know, it does take me time, and I try not to – charge them that much but i do have to charge you know a fee because it's taking time away from my family and stuff like that but anyways uh that being said you know if you are getting into this stuff there are many benefits to having an association there are many benefits to starting an association or joining an association and they're not always very plain to see sometimes you have to get into one and then you start seeing the camaraderie the the intimacy that's joined the friendships and you know, being able to keep your money within your community. So that being said, uh, you know, I think those are all, you know, these are all major things that you need to pay attention to when you're looking either to start or join. And I encourage you to, you know, keep looking for, you know, you know, keep doing research, keep exploring the whole right of association, intimate association, those key phrases, look up expressive association, you know, you can find some stuff online, just make sure it's from accredited uh, source or credible source, I should say. Um, you can use CaseMind. You can use Google Scholar. Uh, you may not get some of the um, uh, the American jurisprudence stuff. You might have to go to your 
local court law library for that to get that information. But take the time and go out and, and understand this more. Don't just take my word for it, right? I'm just some crazy guy on the internet that talks about this stuff, you know, trying to do it Monday through Friday. But really go out there and say, okay, all right, I heard this guy talking about intimate association. Go to your local library. Hey, what can you tell me about intimate association or where can I start looking at it? And they'll give you a whole bunch of stuff, you know, uh, whether it's through jurisprudence or, or uh, law journals. And then you can go through and read the stuff. And some of the stuff is as new as 2010. You don't, you don't have to use old cases like you hear some of these people kick around Hale versus Hinkle, right? You don't have to use that stuff. There's, there's stuff that is within the 21st century that we can utilize to ensure that we protect ourselves with our right of association using the first, fourth, fifth, 14th Amendment, stuff like that. So that being said, uh, let's see. We have a couple comments here. Hey, uh, Frozen Dog, thanks for letting me see here. What do we got here? We have this here. I've been trying to start Liberty Dollar Warehouse Receipts Accepting Network. If it takes extra effort, no one wants to do it. Very frustrating. Yeah, so here's the thing with that. Um, it is frustrating. We uh, we try to get it started up here. We did a huge silver bazaar. Uh, I shouldn't say huge. It was a good size silver bazaar, uh, and all the vendors transacted in silver, Liberty dollars, whether it was the uh, the warehouse receipts, the coin, or digitally. And I think until the CBDCs really get pushed out, or people really start seeing that inflation is a thing, and the American dollar is losing its value, I don't even think it. I think they're taking it off as the petrol dollar now and stuff like that. So um, there's really I don't think people are going to be like, oh, hey, I need to get into this because they haven't really, it hasn't hit them where it hurts yet. And unfortunately, that's what most Americans do is they have that knee-jerk reaction to, oh, shit, this sucks. What are my alternatives, right? And for me, I just, you know, want to le live a leaner, less intrusive life from the government. And, you know, the government's up in all our business and it shouldn't be that way. And, you know, if I want to pay somebody, you know, uh, five bucks for a loaf of sourdough bread, or if I want to give them a half ounce of silver, that's between me and them. I don't need the government in my business telling me what I should do with my money. So yeah, I, I know it can be frustrating. We've all been there. You know, you can talk to people about it. You can try to get them to use it. But again, it's like one of those things, like I like using lightning payments for Bitcoin. I, you know, really wish I got on board with Bitcoin when it first came out. It's one of those things where I kick myself on the arse all the time because I could have bought a bunch of Bitcoin and let it sit there and been a Bitcoin millionaire and just had that for, you know, uh, wealth of the ages for the family. But instead, I was like, this ain't going to go nowhere. This is stupid. But it was born in a recession. It's going through a recession. It has limit. It's a limited amount of of bitcoin so once it's all gone it's all gone you know you can stack sats now which is great you can use lightning payments which are very inexpensive to use it's instantaneous in most cases and it's a great way to do value for value so one of the things i'm going to add to the website is where though you can you know if you like the content or you want to read more of the content i might charge five satoshis or five sats and that's literally like less than it's probably like two cents right but it's one of those things where you can give small increment values and it's they call it value for value like we appreciate what you're committing to making uh, one of the uh fountain is a podcasting application like that they pay you or you get paid in sats to listen to podcasts you know which i think i took out ten dollars worth so far but it's one of those things where i'm listening to it anyways why would i not want to kind of stack those sats and then the same thing with content oh, i like what you're doing so hey i'm going to throw you if you're on noster i'm on noster as much as i can be but that's another thing oh hey man i like your post here's here's 50 sats it's 
less than a quarter probably. I don't even know what it is right now. Let me see if I can, just to kind of give you an idea, where is it? So uh, so $10 in, in sats would be 19,000 Satoshis, 19,395. So if I was to give somebody 25 cents, right? That's 485 sats. It's really not that a large amount of money, but it's just a way of saying, hey, I like what you're doing. Here you go. And eventually, as you stack those sats, and the, you know, I'm not a big Bitcoin, like under, I understand how it works at like the 10,000 foot level. But when you really get into it, I guess there's mathematical ways to figure out when, you know, every so many years, there's less and less coins and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, eventually those sats will go up in value because there's less coins available or what have you. So Anyways, uh, if you want, no, if you really want to know anything about, you know, lightning payments and Satoshi's and Bitcoin, go check out the Bitcoin breakout. Um, it's a it's a really good podcast. Uh, and then you can also listen to the uh, survival podcast. It's all uh, Jack Spierko does. The, does both of them. But his Bitcoin stuff is really good. He makes it really easy for those of you to understand it. And I wish I had that when Bitcoin came out because I would have been like, yeah, OK, I'm going to use this. So I try to use those different payments like I try to use Liberty Dollar as much as I can. I haven't been using it as much. Uh, you know, I, I wish that there was a really easy way to incorporate it into my WordPress site uh, like there is for lightning payments with Satoshi's. But I also have my own start nine server where I can run my own lightning node and I can run my own BTC pay server, which operates just like PayPal. But it's all through Bitcoin and it's completely private. And, you know, I think those are the things that as people start to feel the squeeze of the GOV and, you know, the the BTC or the um the CBDCs coming out and stuff like that and being tracked and all that other stuff. Because once cash goes away, man, they're going to know everything we do, where we go, how we spend our money, who we spend it with. And I think that is just ridiculous. Like, all right, they're already overreaching and too fat as it is. Like, we need to trim a serious amount of fat from our government and to be leaner and less intrusive. And, you know, I don't think it's ever going to happen in my lifetime. I, then again, you know, this whole system might fall apart within my lifetime. Who knows? But I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, unfortunately, I, I appreciate you out there pushing the Liberty Dollar stuff and trying to get those on board. But until, you know, they actually need it and they're like, hey, I don't like the government knowing that I buy, you know, a six pack every Friday at four o'clock. Uh, I need to find out another way to buy that without them finding out. And then again, I don't like paying for what they call sin taxes anyways. That's why I make my own shine and I do my own, you know, um, uh, mead. But that being said, you know, I think eventually people will come around, man, just keep pushing on it and, and keep pushing it, uh, you know, and then, um, you know, try to get them involved with, you know, Wayne and Kathy Hicks and let them get online and talk to them and show them some of the videos that they've done. Maybe that'll help them, you know, kind of reach their, uh, reach their, you know, the, wrap their head around it rather. So. That being said, thank you everybody for listening. We are at 45 minutes and uh, I will see you all tomorrow and hopefully I can get up the all the stuff so you guys know what tomorrow's talk is going to be about. But uh, thanks for jumping on with me. Thanks for leaving questions and comments afterwards. I love going back through and answering those. And until next time, I will see you tomorrow. Peace. Rising all over the country and maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator.